Hey, what's up? So, Avalanche. Let's talk about it. What's, what's an avalanche? The snow comes down real fast, fierce, gains momentum. But I'm not talking about the natural disaster. Or if it's not really a disaster, I guess, if no one's around. But anyways, avalanche. What is it? You've heard about it. Now you're going to hear some more. It's an open source platform for launching decentralized finance applications, right? DeFi. That's what you want. Developers who build on Avalanche can easily create powerful, reliable, secure applications and custom blockchain networks with complex rule sets or build an existing private or public subnet. Right. I think what you should do right now is stop what you're doing. Even if it's listening to this podcast, stop, pull over, go to the gas station if you need to go to a subway. There's a subway like everywhere. There's always a subway. All right. Right, there's always a Kroger. Just stop in a parking lot somewhere. Go to avalabs.org to learn more. All right, stop. Go to avalabs. That's A-V-A-Labs, L-A-B-S, dot org. Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. It's a Bitcoin Podcast. Hey, what's up? Welcome back. It's another week of the Bitcoin podcast. This is episode 331, 331. It feels good to be back after not being in your ears for a week. We're here. I'm the host that talks first, Dimitric. I'm another host, Dr. Corey Petty. And Jesse's not here right now because he doesn't like waking up uh until like six p.m in the afternoon for some reason yeah i was gonna mock him my name's jesse i am another host as well i was gonna i was gonna mock him he he conforms to your your shit numbering system so he's host number three shit numbering system is the only way to do it what's shit about i don't know see like hating on you just talking Um, that shit i think is this my first round table back since my my vacay I think it is, bro. Yeah, because I went, I went three episodes. Um, I think I'm on this interview, though. I you feel are. great. I feel feel real good. <laughs> you're shining, bro. You, you're that what that song, that Katy Perry song was written about. I'm shining because I shaved my beard off. You can see my face. You're a firework, bro. Uh, <laughs> how was your week, man? It's a weird compliment. <laughs> That is a weird compliment to give someone, but it worked, didn't it? Don't you feel yeah, like explosive? Yeah, it's my first week back. Um, coming back with a kind of a new vigor and changing the way I'm approaching work 
and communicating with people and fitting in a bunch of time where I'm like, I have uninterrupted, like large blocks of uninterrupted work mm-hmm. and doing a lot of scheduling my day so that I, I, I now have to schedule my day every day so that I can find out what part of the day I can fit in like two to four hours of un- uninterrupted work. Uh, so it's keeping me like on task and excited. I, I spent the whole two weeks not doing anything. So like, I took a vacation to sit on my couch and not talk to people. And it was like the greatest thing that I ever did. Sometimes you got to take time to make time. I know what you mean. Yeah, read a bunch of books, watched a bunch of TV. What's your, video game. what's your book reading pose? Like what's your go-to book reading posture? Posture. So I bought a Kindle. It's like nice. Kindle HD Fires, like Fire 10 or whatever it is, Fire HD 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lay on the couch. I lounge on the lounging part of the couch or I'm in, or I'm in bed lounging. And I also have a lounger in my sunroom, and that's where I just sit there and lounge, reading. We're going to talk about crypto, guys, I promise, but I want to explore this further. Yeah. Have you maximized the features of your Kindle? I don't know what that means. It's, it's for reading books. Nah, bro. You got to hold your finger on a word, and then, one, the dictionary for the word will pop up, which is juicy. But you can highlight phrases, and you can turn them into a note. Do you turn them into notes? I don't, I don't. I haven't turned them into notes yet. Are you highlight them? You tap again, and you can write notes of why you highlighted it in the first place, and oh. then you can export your notes, and then they get sent to you in a PDF, very organized fashion. Of these were your thoughts while you were reading this book. I did it. It's gorgeous. I love it. I heavily recommend it. Um, it's baller because you know you read lots of books and you forget what the hell you read. So when you export your notes to yourself, you're like, oh, that was the frame of mind I was in and why I was moved by that. I've quoted a few things, I think, on Twitter and and Facebook in the process of reading some of these things. That's usually how I, like, keep track of the quotes that I think are more meaningful. Mm -hmm. I just highlight the other ones and then go through my highlights. So it's I've I've seen the quotes. They're good. They're baller. It's baller shit. I really like Kindles. I know people are like, I like to have the book of my hand so I can fill the pages. Not this is not an advertisement. Yeah, I like books too. Sure, I've got a whole bookshelf of books. They're great, but I don't want to carry them around. Uh, (laughs) It's only for showing people that I read. That's it. That's the whole point of having books. (laughs) I'll be Um, reading. (laughs) Look at all the weird stuff. It's super smart. no, I wasn't going to say. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. It's all good. It's probably not that important. So this is this is the Bitcoin podcast. For those of you listening for the first time, we talk about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, and distributed ledger tech, whatever you want to call it, whatever week, whatever mood you're in. Um, if you're new to crypto, um, be careful with everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful with it all. Ask, ask a lot of questions. Join the Slack. Ask us questions. We'll steer you in the right direction. We won't make you like give us your password. So you're, you're um, safe. You're safe in the Slack. Yeah, it's a safe space. Uh, if you're not new to the show, you know what the Bitcoin podcast is about. Realist podcasts uh, on the internet right now. It's what we do. So, anyways, today we want to talk about something that was really important to the Ethereum community. And that is this Genesis contract. This this sounds fucking super duper. Uh, we're going to ETH 2.0. And we locked up all this Ether to, for validation. 
as we move towards proof of stake. And I got my man, Dr. Petty here. He's going to tell us about what the fuck all that even is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh, happened faster than I thought. A lot, way faster than I thought. Way faster. Way faster. Uh, go on. Uh, if you look at Beacon Chain, which is like an explorer, it allows you to kind of see what, what the Beacon Chain is doing. Um, and you can see, so what happened was um, the deposit contract in Ethereum 1 blockchain was um, submitted and put on the blockchain, which means that people can start depositing their validators, uh, their, their S for, for becoming a validator on the on F2 Beacon Chain. F2 Beacon Chain is a completely separate chain that is going to be used for signaling and, 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 and setting the course for what validators will be validating what shards on F2. So the, like the architecture of Ethereum 2 is a proof of stake chain called the Beacon Chain where that, that's like a registry of your validators and what you have to use when you talk from shard to shard because you the, the, the actual like state where all the like data is going to be stored where the contracts are going to be put, where people are actually using things is going to be on a bunch of different shards of Ethereum too. And they communicate with each other via the beacon chain. The beacon chain also, funny enough, acts like a beacon in that it gives, it, 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 it figures out through some complicated, interesting ways of providing randomness, which valid, which, which part of the validator pool is going to validate which shard hmm. or which set of shards, right? So, and it does this in a very nice trustless way, very comfortable with all this stuff. Uh, and so you have basically the registry of all the validators in the, in the, in the beacon chain they then say, all right, this epoch or this, this this time period, validator number 42, you're going to look at shard number this and this, so on and so forth, right? And then they do that. They get rewarded for it. And if a shard, you know, 42 wants to talk to shard 123, they need to send a message through the beacon chain. And there's some other stuff that goes on there. We can talk about that in a larger discussion at some point. I've talked about it multiple times on hashing it out. Go check those out. Um What's hashing it out, bro? I don't know what that is. You have to tell me. <laughs> hashing it out is my technical show, which is leaving the network and becoming its own thing. So if you like that show, uh, listen up in the very near time on where you can start subscribing to that as opposed to uh, getting it on this feed. Um, and I talk about all things decentralized. It happens to be quite a bit of Ethereum stuff because that's what I work in and that's the context I have, but it's not necessarily chained to that. Yo, I'm not curious. Getting back, getting back to right, Beacon right. Chain. Sure. The contract was the, 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 the contract is the method um, in which the flow of Ethereum is going to move from Ethereum 1 to Ethereum 2. So what happens is people deposit their F1, like their, their Ethereum that you currently have, and you into the into the Beacon Chain contract, deposit contract on F1. And that then creates you a validator of and, and mints new F on the second chain. Right? So it's a way to flow Ethereum from chain one to chain two. Now, caveat, you can't do anything on the beacon chain right now. All you're doing is making a validator and testing to make sure it's validating properly or like it gets assigned properly. And you attest to all the things that happen on the beacon chain properly. 
So you either submit blocks or you're making attestations to blocks that are submitted currently. That's all that happens for now until a later phase. But it marks a huge, a huge milestone in that we have the beacon chain, which is a novel proof of, st proof of state concept that is a beacon of randomness and assigns validators to what will be all the shards, right? That needs to work appropriately. It has to work well. And so that's what's currently going on. And what happened was that the contract was uploaded and it wasn't going to start. Was it going to get bootstrapped? Like the Genesis block wasn't going to get mined until there was enough validators that have registered on the Ethereum one deposit contract. And that was, um, 524,288 F, right? That's how much needed to be deposited. Hold on, let's do the, let's crunch the numbers on that. I'm just going to stop. So, I'm going to round it down to 522,000. 524,288 divided by uh, 32. No, I'm talking about how much money is that in dollars. Oh, okay. That's Times what? Let's just say today's like right now price of 515 per. That's a good price. What is it? I don't know. I haven't checked prices in a while. Stupid. They keep going crazy right now. Wait, no. There's no way that's right. Is that right? No. Fungecko.com has it at 514. And 514 times 524.288. That is... Two hundred and sixty-nine million dollars. Okay. Two hundred and sixty-nine okay. million and a half. Two hundred and sixty nine and a half million dollars, roughly. Um this... deposit of the contract. And that's Ooh. the threshold, right? That was the threshold. So after that, it bumps up. And so what happened, we saw up until let's see here. Um on November nineteenth, there wasn't a lot. Like we weren't a, we we weren't even close. Yeah, it really got exponential. And then, like, like a week. once on, on November 19th, people started like really depositing. And, like, uh, of course, until November 23rd, it jumped and went, went, went past. And so it went past that threshold. So we didn't think that this was actually going to start until, and, and by we, I mean the people who are creating the software. I'm a part of, I work at Status. We create Nimbus. Nimbus is one of the, um, the, the node clients that you can use to run a validator on F2. We didn't think it was going to happen until late. Like until early December, early January. Uh, but what do you think that's a are. testament to? Here we are. I don't know. People, I think people were waiting on um, kind of the first the first round of folks to like go through it to make sure it was working appropriately. And like they didn't screw things up, and to make a few tutorials on the fact that they didn't screw things up and just like kind of see that type of thing before they before they like threw a bunch of money because like you you can't put more than thirty two in for a single validator. Right, but you can put it deposit as many validators as you want. So someone who has a lot of money has to go through the process a lot of times in order to register a bunch of validators, right? And so now it's up to over eight hundred thousand. People are going, people are going nuts. Eight hundred thousand, you say? Why? I don't know. So like, the, that's I mean, hold up. I think. Let me help you out. Just if I can't help. Um, one not, maybe not help, but just talk to you. one. You said something important in the Slack, and you said like, if you think this is an investment opportunity, this ain't it, right? And so that's what I want to clear clarify for like a lot of people that um, 
are listening and you're obviously getting into crypto and Bitcoin because you're like, oh, I'm going to make a quick rip. I'm going to be rich tomorrow, getting a boat, dipping it in gold, going to ship out concubines, going to get fed fucking grapes like this ain't that right. This is this is not that this is more of an act to upgrade a network that is in need of an upgrade. And it's like a communal agreement that this is how we're going to upgrade. Am I you right it, about you it, that? You do it piecemeal, right? You do it. You you separate risk appropriately, mm-hmm. and you check the things that you need to check. And the beacon chain is something that needs to be checked by itself, and it's the first phase of doing the rest of the things. The, the rest of the things depend on the beacon chain working appropriately. So you you de- you deploy that, you check it, you make sure it works appropriately, and then you then you make sure then you start doing the rest. Um, and what's interesting about this, and let me let me talk about the investment part because you get rewarded as a validator for validating correctly. So you you stand to earn F based on the F you deposit as a validator. But there's caveats here in that say your node gets turned off. There's two ways you can lose money doing this. You can, you, well, that's three. You can lose your keys and it's all gone. So you can lose all of it. Um, or you let's say you have a power outage for a long period of time or you turn your node off and you don't realize it's happening. Um, you get, you get, uh, it's not necessarily slashed, but you, there are disincentives associated with not attesting or submitting blocks appropriately. So if you're not doing the function you're supposed to, your the, the, your F will go down over time. Mm. If if you're caught doing something that's against the rules in a provable way, you will be slashed and kicked from the entire network, which is much more severe in terms of the amount of F you lose. You can have your node off for weeks. And that not be that big of a deal. I wouldn't advise it at all. And you, you can also top up your, you can also deposit more money into the same account to top it back up to become good standing again. If that, if you're slashed, you're out. Can't do anything about it. And what's interesting about this is that the people who have deposited onto the main net contract, you can't exit. You cannot remove this F for a long period of time, maybe around two years. You need to be running that validator well for possibly two years before you can even move any of that money or the money you make in the process of validating. And you can't, for now, you can't even do anything with it. So that's the opportunity cost you're putting into this. Now, that may be worthwhile. It may be a reasonably good investment because it's around, I think this next year will be around 10%. It'll make around 10%. So 3F on, on a year for the 30th you put in around and that's an estimate right uh and that's that's a pretty good return when you look at traditional that's investments. not a bad and return if you believe in the stability of the the the, the chain contract and f2 then it's a, it's a bet you're willing to you're better willing to make i'm doing it myself but if you're looking to optimize and make as much money as you possibly can in the ecosystem for the in the shortest amount of time Locking up your locking up your money for ten percent for two year, for one to two years probably isn't the best method, right? Mm-hmm. There's yeah. there's other things you could do in DeFi and all the shenanigans that currently happen. Where you can probably make more money faster if you can make better decisions. I don't know. I don't check. I don't. I don't look at that shit. I have no idea. Mm. So it's like dope, it's not though. like a trader or like or like a, a a quick investment opportunity. This is like you need to run infrastructure that needs to be up all the time. You need to be savvy enough to be able to run that stuff, at least in its current implementation. And 
you need to be able to wait. So you're locking up money for a long period of time at a, at a pretty good return rate, but it's there's stuff you also have to do. You need See, to be checking to make sure you're appropriately. Crypto's a grown person's game, Corey. It's about the you see the slow, slow growth over a long period of time, and then wow, pow. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. just you. You just it's a front end, long term commitment and investment in more ways than one. A holistic investment, if you will. I'm making shit up. And at the, at, at the end of it, you do see a return in a holistic way too, right? It's that slow man's game. And that's why, or woman's, person's game. So uh, that's what a lot of people don't understand. As they get into crypto, because they hear all these hellacious stories and they see all these YouTube personalities, all of a sudden they're like, use my trading techniques. I like to look at the moon twice a month and I gauge the shadows. <laughs> when I measure the shadows, it tells me how to trade. And when I trade, I win. Look at my Porsche. Right? There's those guys <laughs> that are Here's trying to get your money. Yeah. Look at this graph. Uh, there's those guys. And they're going to say, like, look at these triangles. Look at this parallelogram. See how it's not Dude, parallel right here? Huh? We woke, I made so many triangles when I traded. Yeah, they, we got into it. I made it. a lot of decisions based on arbitrary triangles that I was making on graphs. <laughs> you it worked and, out pretty well. You and uh, whoever was making the hell out of some triangles. I don't remember what Dude, I was doing. I was just like, look, the price is here then. It was there then. I'm going to guess it's going to be here now. Go. <laughs> that was pretty much my style. We did okay. No, no, they weren't triangles. They were banners. That's true. It needs to be said appropriately. <laughs> banners or flags, all right? We use the appropriate language. Your reverse um, teacup or whatever. That was. I do remember that one day when I was like, no, it was like three days in a row. I was in the zone. So trading ETH against Bitcoin used to be super easy, guys, because they were really, really negatively correlated. So Bitcoin went up, ETH went down. It was that easy. So I'd be in class. I'd be like, hey, kids, there's some worksheets. Daddy's going to make some money. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm at my computer. Like, it was so bad. Oh, my God. It was bad. Me and oh. D were texting back each other, back and forth each other. It's like, aren't you working? It's like, yeah, they were on a worksheet. It's fine. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Like, like, kids were like, uh, Mr. Ferguson, I'm having trouble with like this isosceles triangle. I'm like, it's 11th grade. You should learn that shit two years ago. Look it up. All right, daddy needs to make some money. <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. It was that was only a, a little bit of the time. I'm a good person, I swear. Um, okay, so ETH is on its way to ETH 2.0, which is great. There's going to be eventually a throughput increase. And for those of you not hip to the swagger, throughput means you get more stuff through the process. In the case, you put more you stuff put, through. You put stuff through. And in the case of blockchains, one of the things that has been grabbing it by the short and curlies is uh, transaction volume. And this also does end up being a transaction volume increase when everything is set in stone. Well, you're not allowed to say set in stone anymore. That's too old school. Set in the blockchain. Mer. Set so, in the ledger. Set in the ledger. Mer. Uh, so... I don't, I'm not doing that. I'm never saying that. I wouldn't do it either. It doesn't even feel right. It doesn't um, feel good to me. So we're well on our... Well, Ether is well on its way towards, you know, getting to uh, E3.0, which is really good. So with all that being said, we're going to break it on off into this week's interview. 
Uh, this week's interview is brought to you by Downey. Uh, if you're washing your shit, bro, and you want that shit hella soft, uh, use Downey. Use that blue shit, too. Don't use the orange one. I think we need to get some sponsors so you're not just like randomly throwing stuff out. We should probably get some sponsors. You want to work a on that soon? You heard about it in the beginning of this episode, but we should probably get some more. <laughs> yeah, I'll get some yeah, more. That's right. If you want yeah. to be a sponsor of the show, email us at yeah. info at the bitcoinpodcast.com. Hey, Alicia man. will handle it your request appropriately and if it sucks we'll tell you no yep uh but if it's worthwhile and you're not a sham shyster scam artist then we'll probably take it yep so you know given the community of crypto you know uh that's probably like 33 percent of you are going to be good and 66 percent of you are we're going to tell you no because if you make it through the ringer of us figuring out whether or not you suck D will make you a jingle, and it'll be better than your jingle. On the fly. I do it it'll well. It'll be better than your jingle. I guarantee it. I don't know how to rap, but I can make a jingle, baby. All right. So, anyways. Sebastian. Sebastian Bourget. Glad you don't go to France. Sebastian is his name. Uh, he's the CEO of uh, Sandbox. So, the Sandbox is a community-driven platform. Where creators can monetize voxel assets and gaming experience on the blockchain. SAND, all caps, baby, is the utility token used throughout. So the sound the sandbox ecosystem as the basis of transactions and interactions, it is an ERC20 utility token built on the Ethereum blockchain. There's only so many of them. Three billion SAND. And um yeah, this guy Sebastian comes on, gives us the lay down, the layout, you know, tries to build that future for us where everybody lives in Tron. It's basically what, what everybody's going to be, right? Everybody's going to be. Not the crypto. Not the crypto Tron. The movie Tron. Yeah. Yeah. Not the crypto Tron. The movie Tron. Because you have to make that distinction these days, which makes me sad. My suit's going to be purple, Corey. Black and purple. My Tron suit. Definitely going to be dark, regal purple as fuck, bro. My bike, my light bike, dark, legal purple. Going to have swords. You already know what mine is. Red? Extra white. (laughs) There was that guy who had the white suit. That's right. Um, Mine's black and purple, baby. With swords and a helicopter. Anyways, uh, (laughs) here's the interview. Here it is. Hey, everybody. I'm back, and I am here for a podcast interview. Uh, both Dee and Jesse are with me today, and we're going to be interviewing Sebastian from Pixel. You say Pixel? Is that how you say it? The Pixel? Sandbox. No, you don't say Pixel. It's really the Sandbox. Oh, so you like, like going with the Sandbox. You're, you're, you're kind of a familiar, uh, like associated with a few different things, which we'll get into. The blockchain right. gaming submission, Sandbox... Go ahead blockchain and, Game Alliance, you, the Sandbox Pixel is my previous game company. So it's mobile oh, studios okay. that, that spawned the Sandbox franchise, actually. Okay, great. Well, then let's do the, let's do the normal thing. Uh, introduce yourself. Tell us kind of uh, how you got into this space and what you do now. And we'll just take it from there. Sounds good. So hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's Bitcoin podcast episode. 
My name is Sébastien Borget. I'm the COO and co-founder of The Sandbox. It's a gaming virtual world on the Ethereum blockchain where players and creators can truly own and monetize their creation and playtime through the use of non-fungible tokens, NFTs, as well as our Sand, our main utility token. I'm uh, the president of the Blockchain Game Alliance as well, which is a non-profit organization with now over 150 members in the space of uh, blockchain and promoting adoption of uh, NFTs, uh, decentralization, DAOs, etc. within the video game industry. And um, well, my background essentially is I've been co-founder and CEO of uh, four companies now, started in 2007 with uh, my business partner, Archer Madrid, sold uh, three of them, three of them have been acquired. So started first in peer-to-peer um, -peer technology, uh, developing a client that enabled video on demand, catch-up TV website to download with BitTorrent uh, high-resolution videos and save bandwidth costs on them. Then we sold that company and uh, started a, a web uh, a service where users could upload their photo, video, and music in the cloud and access them from anywhere in streaming, share, creating playlists, sharing them with other users. Sold that business as well two years after after having 10 of thousands of uh, monthly subscribers. We was back in the days in, uh, before Netflix, before not Spotify, etc. Started in 2011, um, free-to-play mobile game studios that's been uh, creating games involving IPs and brands, Garfield, Snoopy, The Adams Family, um, among others, as well as Sandbox on mobile, and essentially enabling players to create their own stories, their own adventures, building towns or building their own games. Uh, so we've been now it's been a, close to a decade now that i work with this idea of like how do we turn players into creators and the largest success we've uh, we've had with uh, pixel as a mobile game studio has been the sandbox so launched in 2012 as a mobile game on ios and android it has grown over 40 million installs for zero i've had uh, millions of active users um, playing creating with the touch of their finger creating worlds that involve physics destruction sharing those creations to an online gallery where we count over 70 million creations um, so really essentially user-generated content uh, creating games then in 2018, we sold Pixel to uh, another game studio called Animoca Brand, based out of Hong Kong, which is um, a bigger game company that's been also uh, one of the very first pioneers involved in the space of blockchain games. We'll get there uh, after. And since 2017, I'm essentially involved uh, with building the Sandbox platform uh, that's that has had now, uh, which is the most anticipated blockchain game of the year, that's had significant success. Uh, and I'll be able to, to talk about it uh, later today. Um, and essentially bringing NFTs to the mainstream, uh, pioneer, pioneering in blockchain games, uh, and enabling players and creators to really own and monetize their creations. You mentioned something in that. That I found interesting. Um, players as creators. Can you can you maybe uh, give an overview of what you mean by that and why you think it's important? 
Absolutely, that's a great question. And it's really one that's uh, worth asking. Like when you see this huge user-generated content platform, uh, YouTube, TikTok, etc., and in gaming, there's Minecraft, there's Roblox. Those are platforms with over 100 million users, among them creators. Creators mean like they are able to create their own content, whether it's characters, whether it's game assets, whether it's game worlds. They can publish them, they can, but they cannot really own or monetize them on this platform the way they want. So players are producing the content that brings other players on the platform and contributes to the success of those platforms. But there's no real incentive or there's no real reward for them for all the hard work. Like you can literally spend days in trying to create amazing world, successful games, and you only take a small, small part uh, potentially if there is any revenue on the platform for you as a creator. So that's something that uh, I think is pretty much unfair in general. Like as creators, you should have access and you should have a stake in the success of the platform that you help and contribute to help growing and become a mainstream success. And it's been something that we've been confronted with, with uh, Sandbox and Mobile, where, like I mentioned before, having 40 million installs, creators that spent an amazing amount of time to make all the content, share it, bring more users to, to our game. And we had literally no way to offer them uh, some rewards, some incentive for uh, all the content they made until we found out about uh, non-fungible tokens at the end of 2017 uh, when CryptoKitties appeared. And we thought like, wow, if instead of having like a game company tokenize virtual cats and sell them, we had anyone create their content and tokenize it as NFT and then be able to own it, sell it, trade it with other users the way they want and use it as key elements into uh, a game maker platform to create games. Then we, we have the great match uh, that we were looking for to finally enable creators to, to monetize the way they want their creation and use those creation in a platform, but potentially outside of the platform as well, without any boundary in a permissionless manner. And with really, uh, an economy behind that is going to empower the creator, which which is now possible as we introduce our own utility token sand as well since um, August this year. Mm. So if I'm like a gamer and a creator, so by the way, Sebastian, I'm I'm sick at FPS, like nasty. <laughs> yes, it's it's. I agree with that. I'd be a pro if I were born ten years later, but I'm not. So now I just cry about it. But so if I'm a gamer and I'm a creator, say I say, say everyone knows me for getting the dankest of headshots. So then I could like make a skin in this game, like and use some sand and have people pay for the skin with sand. Is that what you mean by creator? Like I'm, that, I'm taking my. Yeah, that, it, it goes beyond that. Um, like yeah, I, I've been myself as a teenager, I spent literally days all my summers playing counter-strike for example if you so probably familiar with counter-strike i fly and a few others of those fps like you can think of skins for your character or your weapon but being a creator in the game is much more it's like every single of those 3d objects that compose your level like the the scene the environment this vehicle the car the tree the building 
all those elements are normally within a uh, in a game company they are made by 3d artists and designers now uh, when you turn players into makers on a platform you enable anyone to design those elements and offer them to game creators to use within their world so they can literally create environment the way they want uh, using a much larger choice uh, range of choice for how they are going to level design their world and that's what essentially we are offering with sandbox yes you will have uh, skins for your avatar yes you will have a different set of equipment and weapons uh, really inspired from rpg and mmorpg mechanism but you have also uh, among all the product of our ecosystem a 3d editor where you can make any 3d model and animate them so you can design your own enemies you can design your own decoration own characters that are going to help you in quests, um, various elements of gameplays that come with pre-made behaviors. You have the marketplace where you can upload those contents and start tokenizing them as NFTs and then allow users to own, trade, sell, monetize them. And you have a game maker, which is really a drag and drop, no coding required tool, where you just take the free model you made or you bought on the marketplace from another creator, you drag and drop it in the scene, you place it the way you want, and if it's an enemy, it's already there moving, it will attack your character automatically with just with with really you writing no single line of code. So how we've uh, it's been really important and key for us to build a product that that turns any player into a game creator without any knowledge, any programming, any game design knowledge to make it as accessible as possible. And uh, so far, even though the platform is still in beta and, and we we have not fully launched to the public, we've seen great success uh, into that mission. We have hundreds of artists working with us who produce thousands of models. We have uh, several game studios and, and creators who are supported by our foundation who are putting project online uh, that you can see on our website and you will be able to play when we open to the public. And we have, and something unique as part of uh, being an open metaverse, we have also starting to sell part of the map where those games will be published. So uh, essentially called lands. There's a total limited number of lands uh, that compose the sandbox map, so 166, 464 in total. We solved them progressively since last year in various rounds of uh, increasing size. And uh, we've seen a, a great demand for those lands, uh, even though the full platform is not yet launched. So that's maybe a topic that uh, we can jump into, into afterwards if you're interested. What drive, why, why would people want to own virtual lands in a virtual world, in a gaming virtual world? What does it enable and why is it so important and why Sandbox is, uh, is building that virtual world on top of land? Certainly something that I'd like to get into eventually. But first, um, the previous games that you mentioned that are kind of uh, examples of popular games, they're also pixelated. You said uh, Roblox and Minecraft, which are like everyone knows the gaming world, but the, their demographic is relatively younger people. Not to say that uh, adults don't play it, spend a tremendous amount of time on them creating worlds. Like, what's your demographic? And 
Um, how are you enabling that demographic, especially for the younger ones, uh, the ability to participate in the kind of ownership aspect of what you're offering that's differentiated from those other games, right? Like you're giving them the option to like take this and take this outside, monetize it, move it to somewhere else, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like, mm -hmm. do kids understand that? Are they getting it? And how are you making it easy for them? Because I'd say a universal complaint about blockchain is that it's not easy to use. Well, uh, it's a really good question. And I think the short answer is like our target demographic is not kids. Like when you look at Minecraft and Roblox today, yes, most of the users are kids because they have been, they've turned themselves into like the social network for the nine to 13 kids in the US because they cannot access Facebook and other platform. And so they found this place as a game where they like to hang out, etc. But the very first adopters of Minecraft, they were like more older gamers, adults, before, before when the mobile came and then the console version came, that's where the audience, more mainstream also became much younger, but, and, it, and it took it uh, like this. With Sandbox, right now, the main target audience, and I can tell you because I, um, we are very close to our community, which is one of, uh, which is now over 20,000 members on Telegram and 20,000 members on Discord. So one of the largest within the blockchain gaming space. It's mostly adults, 25 to 45 years old. When they are spending to buy land or buy NFTs, they spend an average, so close to a hundred dollar worth, which, which is already by any standard within the mobile game industry, it's a very high LTV. So, so we are definitely right now into a different target audience, even though um, our long-term adoption plan, so I would say our vision for the five, the next five to 10 years is to make Sandbox uh, more mainstream to onboard more than a million uh, players by uh, next year once we have launched to the public. And we've been working with major IPs and brands already, uh, which are part of our map, part of our metaverse, including so IPs that you might think are for kids, but they have been for more than 25 years around. So they are more like retro IPs that you uh, and me have been growing with such as uh, Atari, Rollercoaster Tycoon, Care Bears, The Smurf, Sean the Ship. So those are like more family-friendly IPs. And I can't announce it yet, but the next wave of IPs that are coming on board uh, in Sandbox is definitely uh, Hollywood-like type of IPs, more adult-like, uh, very mainstream. And I think will be game changing on how people will perceive sandbox. Yes, <laughs> I have well, just a good time for everything, uh, and I have to make sure that our announcement are announced on proper time. When you mentioned when you mentioned, uh, when you mentioned uh, Counter Strike, I, I was thinking. That's actually what got me into this space. Actually, when I when I first um, bought Bitcoin or saw it, it was actually a bunch of teenagers using uh, Bitcoin in order to exchange expensive thousand dollar skins on Counter Strike Go in 2015, and um, that's kind of what that's kind of what brought me into this whole thing. Um, being in the black market of video games, essentially, and and seeing that. Um, so to 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 what Corey is saying. Little kids actually 
were adopting this back then. Uh, I don't know, mm -hmm. if, like the NFT aspect of it. Like, I don't know if how fast they'll they'll able be able to grasp that. Um, but yeah, it's there. Um, I've, I I haven't seen it. I was one of the alpha testers for Minecraft, but it it it, it became a different demographic pretty fast. I know that. <clears throat> I know that I. I had people like in the early days of Minecraft when they introduced the redstone system. I had um, the kids I was teaching at the time, other electrical engineers, um, sophomore projects in terms of um, building like a, a simple ALU within Minecraft. So something like that was really, really educational and very useful. It, it was actually also possible in Sandbox. So we had our own electronic system. You could build some LEDs, diodes, et cetera, using uh, just the, uh, the the electronic logic. And and actually we had an educative version of Sandbox that 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 went into more like STEM, like, uh, science, technology, electronics, mathematics, and art, STEAM actually with art as well. Um, for the anecdote, uh, yes, um, you're probably familiar with OP, OP schemes which was one of the very first marketplace where users could trade their weapons from uh, Counter-Strike and a few other games. Opie Skins actually became Wax after, and Wax is one of the largest blockchain beside uh, uh, Ethereum, where gamers can actually go and trade game items as NFTs sell between each other. Um, and it's true, like, Counter, uh, FPS, but also MMORPGs have those marketplace where users can trade items with each other. But it's always been uh, a gray market or black market, very centralized, where the companies behind those uh, MMORPGs and FPS they they had central control. So they decided whether what you as a player could do or could not do with those game items. Are you able to sell them for real money? Can you trade them outside of the game, etc.? And I would say most of them have, have proven until even today with Nintendo and Animal Crossing. Monday. Just for a second. I think his headphones went out. So. Yes, my headphones just ran out of battery. Okay, can you hear me still now? Yes, fine. Yes. So, so we've seen multiple examples where, like, the game company running the platform, uh, Activision Blizzard with World of Warcraft, uh, Counter Strike, or even Nintendo with Animal Crossing, they didn't allow this free trading of resources between players, uh, and they are limiting. So, that's where that's what we call like centralized closed wild garden economies where the developer is actually restricting and exercising the strict control of what their users can do. We have a very different mindset where we are more like open economy, uh, open ecosystem, where we want our users to actually take ownership in the assets, participate in trading the assets, and, and they can trade them in our platform, in our marketplace, but also on external secondary marketplace uh, and we believe on the contrary that it, it's more interesting uh, that users can uh, can do that in a permissionless manner and that uh, this will actually contribute to grow the overall uh, video game industry revenue 
by having users finally be able to not have game items, game currencies that they bought with real money as just perishable consumable goods that when they leave the game, they lose everything, but they have finally the capacity to resell it to another users and even like uh, monetize uh, the, the resource that they earn through the time they dedicated to play a game. So finally put a real value on the items they earn through the scarcity and the blockchain as NFTs or uh, the value on their play time, really turning that the, the idea of play to earn behind where by farming resource, by winning at tournaments, etc., I can get paid by playing. And this is already happening. Um, so this is, in 2020, we have some games available on the market where users are really earning real money through the content they make on Sandbox and they, can, they create through um, by participating in tournaments in some of those uh, blockchain-based games. And um, already through uh, the large growth that you might have seen in the NFT ecosystem, where we are now seeing more than $1 million a day in trading volume of NFTs, where users are already potentially reselling at profit those game items that they earned or bought couple of months before or a couple of years before. I, I know when you when you say when you're when you're talking about like buying like in-game items and kind of holding on to them for long periods of time. I did that. Um, I've been doing that since I was like nine on RuneScape playing on dial up, I remember. <laughs> and uh I, I guess uh like a lot of a lot of my childhood was based around playing video games. So this is like something I can really like get my head around. Um, do you guys have any um, potential plans for how you'll deal with people who try to bot value and extract value out of your games through simply having, you know, something like, I don't know if you remember, if you played RuneScape back in the day, like Scar scripting or, you know, any of the Java-based bots that they have nowadays? Uh, absolutely right. As soon as there's a system in place that really uh, has potential, potentially tangible economic value, there will be already users that try to game the system, find the find the loophole, and try to generate the resource. So, to 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 all our game designer team, so Sandbox has now been growing to close to 100 people team this year. Uh, some of them have senior. Uh, senior game designers in the industry. They work for more than 10 to 20 years on those type of MMORPG multiplayers. They are familiar with what we need. They've been playing uh, games like RuneScape, Dofus, and major MMORPG. They have themselves found the hole, so they know how to fight against those, how to have uh, a balance of the economy that limits uh, the control of a smaller group or like smaller groups uh, farming all the resource and then uh, turning the economy against the rest of the player. And uh, and it's also like as, as a platform, we are defining really where's the value system of the asset and resource that's collected and what, is, what are the law of supply. And we can do that in a more transparent manner by using blockchain actually. So that's um, an important point, like uh, block, blockchain enables through tokens, through NFTs, to have uh, a much more transparency on like how much resources are available, how they are being allocated, who has uh, acquired them, 
and what are the rules and mechanism in place. Uh, usually there are uh, multiple loops in place, so it's never like you can directly acquire resource A or resource B, but to acquire resource B, you need to complete action B, C, D, E, F and, and loot various resources that, that enable usually to have a more balanced uh, distribution of resource uh, and not a, sing a single group of users controlling everything. But we, we are aware of that, like that's all our background before. <laughs> Something that's interesting um, that blockchains and NFTs bring to this that was previously much more difficult um, is the concept of uh, cross-game economics. So you're able to, like, because you have the ability to take your assets out of a game and take them into another one, depending upon the rules and how they're imported, uh, like, it's, it, it becomes more increasingly difficult to balance the economics of various games. So you can end up with a solution, a situation where someone basically grinds out a certain amount of value in one game and it's, and it's asymmetrically more valuable in that game as opposed to a different one. So they mm -hmm. can take it out of there. They, they grind in one game, take those, take those assets out, bring them into another game and then dominate based on the, like the amount of work they've had to do. Is that something that you're able to see in real time? Is it something you think about? How, like, how do you, how do you deal with that? that? That's a very good question. Right now, there's a few experiments in the space of blockchain games uh, with interoperability where one NFT from one game can also be used into another game. However, what the, the block, with a smart contract, when you import an NFT into another game, it doesn't give you the rights to override the attribute or, or grind more resource or generate more tokens. So the scarcity of it, of the item doesn't change. The attribute doesn't necessarily change unless the smart contract from the game developer A actually allows uh, game developer B. So more, what it means, it's more like if I have a game item in uh, game A that Maybe it's not so useful, but the game developer B decide that, hey, you own that item. And because you own that item, uh, you get access in my game to, I don't know, some, some more perks, like you have more powers in the game, etc. Then, then it becomes, it increases the utility of the game item. And because the utility is increased, potentially, it's either uh, a way to acquire users based on the content they own. So you can drive users from game A to game B based on the content they own in games, or you can target them based on that content. Or B, it's a way to increase the value of that item that seemed to be not so valuable in game A, but because suddenly a large amount of users from game B will want that item, create a new uh, economic perspective. And that's... That's also what it means to be into an open economy world where the items can indeed be used by uh, several games. They cannot be altered by several games yet, that may be in the future uh, also. And I think there's many there's a lot of potential toward that, but already, already just the mere idea that scarcity plus utility plus aesthetic can transcend a single game to be uh, to be used and leveraged by developers and users across many others. Some concrete examples, wrap kitties, for example. So back to crypto kitties, you had plenty of crypto kitties that were useless, but some developers, they, they've wrapped them into fungible token that become a currency that can be spent uh, towards, uh, well, other games or trading, etc. 
which gives them more utility to those dormant items that uh, so, so for example, uh, by you were mentioning Jesse that you've been collecting game items for years. Not all of them are rare or high value. Maybe uh, actually 99% of them are probably low value, low utility. But now suddenly someone came with this genius idea and and has been able to turn potential and unlock value from from your items. And I think that's that's something really interesting, and we'll see it more and more uh, in the coming years uh, as it becomes more mainstream and more developers adopt this technology. So you would you would say like the the kind of the kind of freedom that you give develop or not developers, but um, the players themselves in terms of what they can create um, is more of uh, a visual aspect and not necessarily completely in terms of the let's say combat mechanics of the game it's not necessarily they can set the attributes like i can't give myself the most overpowered sword in the game that i can kill things in one swing um exactly but and it's actually one of the challenge we have in sandbox since we are user generated content platform meaning like anyone can make their items but as such anyone would want to make only the most powerful items but if every item is the most powerful item there's no difference so how do you so that's, we've built a, a value system where every game item needs to actually have uh, gems and catalysts attached to them to upgrade their power. So by default, not every, nobody can make the most powerful items. There is a, a rare supply of the most powerful uh, catalyst that enables you to give more powers to those game items. To obtain them, you have either to to play the game a lot until you you can uh, uh, you receive them as reward, and or you need to trade them with players. So those players who will spend time to collect and farm those resources. So it creates naturally an economy, and on our side, it creates a, a more fair distribution of uh, the resource that allows uh, the NFT to have more or less values to the to the users in sandbox ecosystem. Mm. Follow-up question, well, just a small one. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I really enjoyed the interview. <laughs> um, will will the power to control the scarcity of an item that was created by a user ever be overridden by you guys as game developers? Say they make you know five of something. Will will you ever you know manually adjust it? Say it becomes very popular. Well, no, yeah. the power yeah. of, um, really the control over the scarcity of the items they make. And that scarcity is immutable on the blockchain. So when uh, a creator decides to make only five copies of a certain very powerful sword, everyone has the transparent proof, immutable proof that there's never ever be any more than five copies of it. And that's also what explains the success of NFTs in general. Like when you buy a game item and you know there's only one like this in the world, one like this, for example, in a Formula One racing game called F1 Delta Time, there's only one Formula One that has like the higher specs and called it was the first minted. And when it actually sold for over $160,000 to players, like collectors and players, because, and, and they knew and they understood the value of it. You can see in games like Axie Infinity, some of the first 
creators of their games called Mystics are now selling for over 160 ETH in secondary marketplace because they are very high uh, attributes and they are very scarce in numbers. In Sandbox, um, we sold land, but we have a limited number of land. So once we've sold all of it, we own no money anymore ourselves or the users own them. So then the users will be able to sell, resell the land to other creators who need it or rent their land in unlocking a new monetization. Like it would be the first time as, as a game player or as a creator, you can actually rent one of our, your digital property to other users who, who actually need it to earn a passive revenue. Uh, income stream, for example. Uh, so it really enables a lot of use case behind um, to this idea of the true ownership and scarcity associated with it. How do you, uh, how do you handle scale? Like, like with that, with as many users as you have, um, there's a, probably a significant amount of infrastructure associated with like handling this stuff off chain and then, and then batching a lot of transactions onto the Ethereum blockchain. How are you handling scale now? And then how are you viewing, um, how are you viewing to change that as the different solutions for scaling keep popping up and becoming kind of back and forth with what's like good and what's not good, the, kind of the scaling du jour of the Ethereum ecosystem? That's a relevant question as well. In Sandbox right now, we have close to 40,000 registered users. Uh, we have at peak uh, 10,000 users that connected to, to participate in our last pre-sale of land that, that sold out in minutes, like uh, almost. And um, one way to, the, the wrong way to approach it, I think, current, given the current state of technology, would be to want to run everything on chain. Why do we need the blockchain here in Sandbox is essentially to prove the ownership of items, items that you create or items that you earn. So you don't actually only, uh, only when you create uh, and mint the item or only when you transact to buy or exchange between users is the moment where you need blockchain. Other than that, the gameplay remains centralized. And we just read the state of the blockchain to know, like, are you the owner of that asset or not? So that you can use it in, in, in a game you're creating, or you can use it uh, on your avatars and equipment as you're playing. So, so we can scale to really uh, millions of users uh, exponentially without being, um, uh, I, I was, should I repeat here or? Right. So, so you can scale to millions of users exponentially without having the basically the blockchain scalability issues because you're not registering millions of transactions per second on the blockchain for your gameplay. The gameplay is still running off chain, at least with the current uh, implementation we have uh, built on Ethereum blockchain, where we usually use NFTs for ownership and send our ERC20 token for. Uh, the, as a utility token that supports as a medium of exchange for participating in governance decision and staking on the platform. That's nice. and, and kind of what do you see in the on the horizon? It's like over the next 
What's what's the next six months look like for for Sandbox? They will be very exciting. Uh, we're really looking at the first public beta for opening to players, launching the first play to earn season, like enabling the first users who enter the platform to actually play for free and earn rewards, including sand token through by the mission they complete through the different levels they go through. Uh, all by all through the, the duration of the events that this uh, play to earn season will last. So that's something um, I'm really excited to announce soon, like how it's going to work, how our users are going to, to be able to participate in this play to earn season. Also like multiplayer, socializing in a gaming virtual world, being able to join social hub uh, where you can chat, walk, look around, interact with other users. Um, is something that I find really amazing uh, in terms of like how you how we can connect with people in uh, like-minded people of the community within this virtual world and and participate then in the play to earn session to try to earn and collect tokens. Um, that's that's really the next six months for Sandbox as well as unrolling some of the features that we announced regarding. Uh, more decentralization with some token uh, involving the foundation and involving uh, the participation of the community into some of the first decision of uh, the platform. Awesome. And where do, where do people go? Like say our, our audience is interested, where would they go to find out more, get, sign up for the beta, et cetera? Yep. The, just www.sandbox.game. Uh, you can access there. You can create your account, uh, choose your avatar, and then download the current beta version of uh, the Game Makers, which allows you to start creating without any programming knowledge, uh, join our social ads. You can also have a look at gamefund.sandbox.game, where you will learn how we are supporting creators to build the first content on the platform. And, um, and follow us on the different social media channels, Twitter, Medium, to, to YouTube as well. We have weekly uh, Twitch live stream where you can see our creators build in real time and engage with the community uh, to build the kind of game they want, to showcase the products uh, in action and, and, and answer any of your questions uh, that you might have about NFTs, about gaming virtual world, about open metaverse uh, in general. So we... Uh... We like to ask uh, all our uh, people that we bring on the podcast this one last question. And it is, can you sum up Bitcoin or blockchain in 10 words or less? It, sure, like 100%, um, wait, let me see. It's a disruption where 100% power goes to players and users I like that yeah that fits <laughs> all right sebastian thanks for coming on our show uh look forward to kind of seeing how this this uh progresses over time and 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 seeing kind of like the, the interesting environments that pop up and you have people people interact like this absolutely i'm sure like jesse as a real gamer a few of the things i mentioned will as as spoken to you so uh, like uh, looking forward to, to see you in Sandbox uh, platform and share with you anything you like. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to pop into your guys' Discord and see what's up. 
Cool. I just I just created an account on the computer. Okay. <laughs> that shows like real good on the onboarding, like quick, yeah. efficient. Corey, we're gonna like this tonight. Corey. <laughs> Maybe you might. All right. All right, Sebastian. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Dee. Thank you, Jesse and Curry. Uh, keep me posted when this goes live, and, and let's see if the community likes to join us in the virtual world. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you. Cheers. Have a today. Bye-bye. Bye. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that, uh, that, uh, that interview there with Sebastian. I hope you feel like a creator. You're gonna go create some things on their platform. Do it. Get the some sand. That platform's cool. I I play around with like the like the entry part where like you can make an avatar and buy stuff and create stuff. And they they did they did a lot of work. A did lot you make of a like sandcastle. <laughs> See what you did there. Boo! It's like a, it's a said that. it's a lot of it's a lot of like professional gaming work in the background of that. So it's that's I'd call that like professional gaming industry adopting blockchain as opposed to like blockchain adopting gaming. Okay. Well, we're gonna try we're gonna try something new for the first time here, guys. I hope you guys are strapped into your car, right? I hope you guys got your good running shoes on. For those of you that listen to podcasts while you work out, I don't get it, but people do it. Read an article about it. I don't even know how you focus on your workout when you're listening to people talk. So intimately what are you focused on your workout. What do you work? What are you focusing on in your workout? Your fucking form, bro. Your pump. Your your mirror poses for your Instagram. Like, there's so many things to <laughs> focus on while you're working out, bro. This, pff, what do you? Yeah, the podcast on? you're listening to. Instead, you're listening working to out me. It's boring. Listening to me speak intimately into your ears. But anyways, uh, we're gonna try segments. And our first segment, first round of it. It's going to be called Dose of Ether. I know some of you are familiar with that name. I hope it brings you warmth. We're going to talk about a Dose of Ether. Now, where we get this content from, where we get this information from, is a wonderful newsletter, probably the marquee newsletter in the entire Ethereum space, which is a week in Ethereum. It's written by my man, Evan Vanessence. And uh, <laughs> he, sorry, that's not his name. His name is Evan Vanessence. But he really is missing a marketing opportunity. Uh, <laughs> he, he's been writing very thoroughly at depth and breadth about everything in the, the Ether community for fucking years. Since, well, not years. Since it started. Yeah, probably years even, since it started. Yes, five, 2015 is when Ether, Ethereum Let's look at the archive. Born. Let's look at the archive. I'm on the There's website right now. Archive is August 21st, 2016 was the first episode, at least in the archive. She's Louise. So this man has been, he's the man with the master plan. He's been doing this for a while. Um, there's basically a slew of information in a week in Ethereum and it comes out every single week. Um, so if you ever feel, if you, if you, if you're way into Ethereum, like if Ethereum gets your groin, you like your, your loins warm and makes your pants tight, you should probably be subscribed to a week in Ethereum. So you can always be in the know. But this week I really wanted to talk to you specifically something that he mentioned in layer two, and that's cross-layer um, transactions, right? So for those of you unfamiliar with layer two, um, uh, let me see if I can just make this as uh, Doorly Explorer as possible. So Ether and Bitcoin, these are all layer one chains, right? Like 
Uh, I don't even know how to dumb this shit down sometimes. Um, Give it a shot. But they're the initial oh. chain of these networks, blockchain of these networks. Um, and many moons ago, uh, when we found out that scaling was going to be an issue, uh, we were like, okay, we're going to have to do some of these things off chain. We're going to do them on a different chain. And so now these layer two chains exist or layer two scaling um, solutions exist. Solutions. So these solutions allow for what I speaked about earlier in the episode throughput to go through the roof. Because now all of a sudden, not every single transaction has to take place on the layer one blockchain. You can have all this activity outside of the layer one blockchain, all kinds of transactions, all kinds of fun and games. You got crypto kitties, you got crypto titties. You got crypto zombies. You got whatever. You know what I'm saying? All that's happening. <laughs> there are actually crypto titties, Corey. You laugh. I know. But, I know. I know. Okay. I know, uh, I know. <laughs> all that shit's happening outside, and the, the layer one blockchain doesn't get bloated. It continues to perform its function. And then the layer two, usually in some way or fashion, propagates all the activity that took place to layer one. All right. So one of the hardest things, though, is getting information from one from layer one to layer two and back and forth. So um, Connext, if you're familiar with Connext, I think we've interviewed them. I've personally interviewed them twice, uh, one for Block Channel and one for, I believe it was announcements. Maybe the long but, time ago when we did announcements. Yes, many moons ago. But uh, if you want to TLDR it. It says it right here at the top. Entering and exiting layer two chains instantly is ready to be integrated into dApps, right? So instant exit and entering is tough. If you don't think it's tough, ask anybody working on the Lightning Network right now because you've got to do this if, uh, by confirmation via the, the, the lower level chain, right, Corey? Yeah, so typically, so I say you have two layer twos, right? And those are mm -hmm. like, so you can think of like a layer two, like a... Almost like uh, a local area network to the wide area network, the intranet of an internet, right? Mm -hmm. Like a layer two is kind of like, we're going to do these types of transactions here. And when we want to talk to the broader internet, we go through this channel back to the back to like the, the, the layer one, the main internet, right? But like, what if you have like two businesses that want to talk to each other? Well, they got to go through the internet to do that. Uh, and what this is kind of talked about is setting up a way in which you can actually just directly connect the two layer twos without having to go through layer one through like what's through basically a state channel. Mm -hmm. And so they're setting up new ways in which, so like right now you have um, limited ways in which you can, you can have a layer two talk with the layer one and send assets back to that into something else, kind of how you route transactions through the layer one from a layer two to another layer two. There's, that's what they're, what they're introducing here because they've made the bet that the progression of blockchains is going to be very multi-chain of like a widely multi-chain world is they're saying like, well, we're creating a kind of agnostic messaging layer that allows you to kind of make whatever connection you want via state channels. So you don't, you're not forced to go from layer two to layer one to layer two. You could potentially make a state channel from layer two to layer two and talk directly with each other. That's which is faster, much faster. Mm. Now there's inherently going to be like, different trust and security assumptions here. I don't, I'm not aware of how Connext handles these things, but it's, uh, it could like for certain use cases, it could make it really, really fast to do things as opposed to like, say like I'm on the, 
I don't even have a context here because there's no like big layer two areas, maybe like uh, the XDAI network doing something that's on XDAI. And whenever optimism blows up, uh, there's another app and optimism that I want to use. I would have to like take my funds on the XDAI network, move them back into layer one, which takes a significant amount of time until they're secured there and then deposit them back onto layer two of, of optimism, which takes just about just the same amount of time. Whenever you enter and exit these things, traditionally it takes a lot of time because you're, you're, you're always going to be, uh, rate limited by the slowest chain. And that's usually, it's always going to be layer one. Mm. Right. So if mm -hmm. you can avoid it, you can maybe avoid that, that, that time, but there's probably a security trade-off associated with it. What this is saying is like they've created something that allows for that. I'm kind of curious to see where it goes. Mm -hmm. So some of the story is entering and exiting just got that much faster. And Connect has been around for a while. On the test net. This is on this test net stuff, by the way, guys. Yeah, the test net, but like if you're if you're mad that somebody's testing something before using it and not, you know, YOLOing into production. You're an asshole. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's fine. Do you? So, I mean, that's the dose of ether, guys. That's it. That the test net's getting upgraded to do layer two transactions. So entering and exiting is getting that much easier. So you just got dosed. I like it. Yeah. You're doing yeah, that? I kind of like that. <laughs> you just got dosed. Um, Mark it down, Daniel. Get your dose. Get your get dose. dose. You got dosed. Take take your prescription, bitch. No, that took a little too much. That was a little. <laughs> that took a little too far. Um, I'm pretty proud of myself, Corey. You know why? We said why? entering and exiting like four times, and I didn't make it a sex joke. I didn't. You did not make any sexual jokes, but you just did, so you ruined it. Damn, bro, you got it. You fucked with the meta there. I was gonna see. Oh, you oh. didn't have to point that out. <laughs> you get called out. <laughs> you didn't have to point that out. I was trying to make it a thing. All right, so. There's one last thing we want to kind of like talk about, and then we'll wrap this up for you guys. Um, it was the uh, um, the exploit, or do we should we even talk about that really? Because we don't even really know. I don't even really know what happened. The exploit, and then like like all these contracts got liquidated because the price of die actually went up more than it was supposed to, and then oh, at least just telling us something. What 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 are we saying? Don't worry it? about it. It's for later. What are you talking about? What exploits are you talking about? There was an exploit in like the die contract. Dude, I told you. I told you. I was checked out for two weeks. I didn't read oh, those. I didn't oh, talk yeah. to people. I sat Bro, on my this is. I think this is probably why the price dropped like from like Bitcoin was like 19.2 and then it dropped down to like 16 something. And then Ether dropped from like 630 or whatever down to four. 90s now it's creeping back up but there was a huge price drop and i think people thought it was related to the fact that there was an exploit and like an oracle contract that allowed somebody to drain like 46 million dollars of somebody's wallet that was it was, uh, that had 46 million dollars of liquidity in it and then um yeah so it was, it was i'm speaking about this very uh i guess not as informed as like a journalist, but I do know that that caused the liquidation of about a hundred million dollars worth of liquidity. Um, that was like wrapped up in liquidity pools or something. 
That's DeFi shit, right? Maybe we should say that I'm for looking, the DeFi segment. I'm looking to see if it's in Week in Ethereum news right now. I'm not seeing it. Well, this week, like would, this, this week in Ethereum came out on the 16th. When did it happen? It happened like yesterday. It happened on Thanksgiving. This happened on Thanksgiving. Oh, so this just happened. Yeah, it happened yesterday. How did I hear about this? Damn, you must have had a great fucking Thanksgiving. Yeah, I did. I cooked some duck. I made a duck. And it was, oh, good God, Oof. man. Bro, duck I smoked fat a turkey. gravy is. Mwah. Yeah? Oof. Yeah, I'm talking. You made stuffing. I stuffed the duck. <laughs> ate the duck. I rendered, I rendered the duck fat into, into gravy and I shoved that in my mouth. Mm. Mm. Put it all over mashed turkey, potatoes. Bro. Let me tell you smoke something. the turkey? Brine, brine a turkey for like two days. Then you smoke that shit in a pit barrel smoker. But you before you... I Well, we have like three smokers. And then you get oh, a office. turkey hanger. Yeah. And then you get like butter. So you take an unsalted butter, my friend. And you put that, like you cut it into slices. And you stuff it in between the skin and the breast meat. Just stuff it mm-hmm. on in there. Mm. Right, it adds the fat that the dark meat already has because it's dark meat, but the white That's meat don't have that. You put I, it in I've there. I've like injected with like a with like a uh, syringe. A bunch the baser thing. Yeah, that's one yeah. way to do it. But right before I throw it in the no, smoke, like, like, like a syringe. You, you yeah, push it. You in can do that too. That probably only makes it better. That probably only makes it better. Um, but this was super duper good. Uh, it was a little dry, like the cl- the part closest to the fire was dry, but that's natural. It's the same thing you get if you're like smoking ribs, bro. You get the burnt tips. But anyways, man, when I tell you this turkey tasted good, it tasted good. It was good. It was delicious. Um, used cherry and apple wood. Ooh, boy. So, uh, oh, Jesse's up. Ha, <laughs> Yeah, Jesse's not here because he was asleep, and apparently he just woke up. So yeah, now that we're yeah. about to finish, yeah. uh, just to be clear, uh, before we misspeak, um, the news line on Bitcoin.com that Alicia sent because she's awesome: 100 million liquidated on DeFi protocol compound, not not maker, and uh, compound following Oracle exploit. So it was, it, was, it was an exploit on the Oracle that Compound provides. Yeah, around die. It was like, on the data from Dai, though. Yeah. It was lenders on. I'll, be, I'll read it from the article here. Lenders on decent, decentralized finance DeFi protocol Compound on Thursday got liquidated for a massive 103 million, according to analytics provider uh, Loan Scan. This happened after what appears to be an Oracle exploit on the Dai stablecoin. So, parent error or malicious attack. Uh, to the die dollar peg data supplied by the Coinbase Oracle, pushed the price of the stablecoin to around one point three dollars, a dollar thirty. Sorry, a premium of thirty percent. So, so die is supposed to be pegged to a dollar. Somehow the Oracle, which is the thing that provides the price to other things, uh, shot up to a dollar thirty, which it wasn't, uh, leaving some users on Compound under collateralized. So it, it, it liquidated a bunch of loans because. The, it, the 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 oracle which feeds price data into the smart contracts or whatever it is uh shot to a point of what it was which basically says you're underwater we're going to liquidate things mm. so compound gets its pricing data from coinbase pro now once this happened 
And based on the built-in, uh, now once this happened and based on the built-in protocol rules, this could only mean one thing, forced liquidation of the borrower's position. Oof. You are liquidated. That sounds Oof. like some Mortal Kombat shit, Alicia. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, on Bitcoin.com. I typically wouldn't ask you to go there because I'm not a fan of Roger Ver, but it seems like a reasonable article. Um, Here's a quote at the end of this. Here's a quote at the end of this. It boggles my mind that we are in late 2020 and DeFi platforms are still vulnerable to Oracle attacks, said one Twitter user at LinkFrogPoster, quality source. This is why the Chainlink price feeds, for example, uses multiple sources of information. Shout out to Andy, working at Chainlink. Multiple independent node operators and multiple independent data providers. A median is then calculated. So uh, for those who don't know, Oracle's is like a severe issue in in smart contracts and blockchains. Where you get outside information is incredibly important. And when you rely on people who feed, especially price data, into a smart contract, you better make damn sure that price data isn't, isn't, isn't able to be manipulated. And if it is, you better be taking a bunch of different price data, the same thing, and taking an average of it or a median, depending on the context. So there you go. That's what happened. And like, don't get me wrong, Oracle attacks and, and issues have been the bane of a lot of blockchain problems, especially in DeFi for a long time. Why? Because people like to throw things out the window and try things and make a bunch of money quickly without thinking through what they actually put. Mm. But whatever. That's another, that's another story. Sorry, I got wrapped up in the analogy of the Oracle and the Matrix for a long time on that last discussion right there. I bet she was I bet she was corruptible. I don't think she was, man. I think that's what I bet she was corruptible. I bet she was. Well she got she got uh chest stabbed. There's only one of her. She there's only one of her. That's a single point of failure right there. That's true. And she got chest stabbed by a old agent. And she failed. Agent Smith. Yeah, that was a so you can creepy go ahead and tell me I'm right. scene. You can go ahead and tell me I'm right now if you want. You want to save it for next episode? What are you talking about? I didn't. I'm, I'm right. not arguing. You are right. I don't know what you're right about. I didn't even think I was arguing anything. Just wanted to hear it. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're correct. Uh, that's it, guys. Let's wrap this shit on up. So, check out our Shopify store. Store dot we got shit there, bro. We got lots of shit in there. We got shirts. We got underwear. We got uh, we got, we got new stuff coming. New stuff dropping every like episode. Hopefully, yeah. New stuff. We got oh, there's there's the discount codes now for for those of you. It's a limited time. We got discount code. Uh, if you're in the Slack, you know the code. I'm not gonna give it on the show because you should join the Slack. So that's how that works. Boohoo, join the Slack. Uh, you get a discount code. You can get some stickers. We got stickers rolling out. We have Daniel representing, helping us out. You'll get your stickers and your Cheetos. We've got some new tiers as well. So check Can't out check out the Patreon. Huh? Can't wait to actually give people out flaming hot Cheetos. Yeah, man. I can't wait to like, we actually have like more than eight patrons <laughs> like we got eight people like this do you know how depressing that feels it's like hey let's, let's have a show in a city and like eight them. people show up i don't blame them we did a, we've done a shit job on patreon for the longest time and now that we said hey we've been doing a shit job on this for a long time let's hire someone to take care of it because we're not doing it here we are yeah so of the thousands of you listening please 
join the Patreon. Just give us a little something, something. We'll make it worth your while now instead of saying that we are and not. Uh, so shout out to Megan the Stallion. Shout out to, did you see her new video, bro? Corey? No, I didn't watch that in my, in my week off. I don't even know who that is. <sighs> All right. Shout out to Megan is. the Stallion, this fucking guy. Shout out to Megan the Stallion. Shout she out a thirst trap on Instagram? Uh, I don't know if you call her a thirst trap or like a thirst maelstrom. Thirst, a thirst nexus? She's she's a fucking thirst maelstrom, bro. There's no getting out of that. There's no, there's no getting. You're done. You're done. Uh, <laughs> thirst nexus. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, fuck. Oh, speaking of thirst, bro, there's a real opportunity in this in this Bitcoin game, Corey. We could be male thirst traps for crypto. We should try. Look, the only reason I say this is because I said that shit as a joke last week in the Slack. And people were like, yeah, you should do it. It'd be funny. And then I saw this quote-unquote influencer in crypto Twitter. Okay, we'll wrap. I saw this influencer in crypto Twitter, and she was like, hey, who are the male thirst traps? And nobody could post anything. So I was like, oh, shit, there's an opportunity there, bro. We need to start hitting the gym, bro. We need some oil for our abs, and we need we need gyms, oil, and uh, and and pictures with filters. All right. Lastly, uh, <laughs> shout out to Georgia Curtis, uh, YouTube Joro, Google search that you'll know who she is. Um, that's it. Um, holler, holler. Oh, play Jesse. Wake up, man. Play the outro.